Show presents Scratch It Trailer. The podcast where we debate which track to scratch off some of the most known and unknown albums of all time. We live in an era of singles. This is an album. People no longer listen to an album for the work it truly is. It kind of defines a man. It's just not something that people relate to nowadays. We've all gotten the dreaded. Started out as a game. Which track on the album would you scratch out if you had to? Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Scratch a Track podcast presented by the Dude and Grim Show. I am the Dude. And I'm Grim, and today we are going to talk about the album Raw Power by Iggy and the Stooges. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And I think, Grim, we just want to remind people before we get all up in this to like and subscribe and comment. Um, we are on um, your probably your favorite podcasting platform because we're on all the major ones and we're also on youtube if you want to see our smiling faces so just you know like subscribe do all that fun stuff and let us let us know you know play along let us know what track you guys would scratch off the album and you can't say we wouldn't it's perfect we wouldn't want to scratch any because yeah that's yeah it's like we sometimes we don't want to scratch any either right like we Uh, just don't most times I mean, most times, in all honesty, this one yeah. and dude, I'll, I'll admit this one was tough for me. I mean, just it is only eight songs, but uh, it was a tough one for me to scratch. Yeah. Yeah. I, and most of them are for me. I mean, uh, but again, like you said, that's not really the construct of the game that we kind of came up with here. So. Mm-mm. All right. All right. All right. So getting into a little bit of raw power here, my friend. So this is their third third studio album yep uh released february 7th 1973 man um and i yeah yeah, and the band was kind of in some turmoil at this time Uh, yeah that's to say the very least i think they had broken up one of them was like an alcoholic iggy was going through his heroin addiction stage yeah yeah and uh yeah it wasn't the most stable time for the band i think you could say that Oh yeah, and, and as as far as I am aware, I believe that they uh, got a new guitarist at this time, not to replace, um, not to replace anyone, uh, but uh, it was James Williamson, or maybe he did replace someone. Oh, because yeah, no. I'm I'm sorry, the Ashton brothers were uh, bass yep. and then drums. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the Ashton brothers actually was the lead guitar player. And they actually moved him over to bass, and James Williamson came in to to play guitar. Okay, and that's that yeah. makes sense. And so, and actually, on this album, Williamson actually co-wrote um, most. Of, I, I think all of the songs or most of the songs with Iggy. Yeah, uh, which which I think hadn't really been been done before. And from uh, kind of, and I I must fully admit, I'm not a super fan. I am not as familiar with with a lot of their work. But I'll tell you what, dude. When I first put this album on, like I was like, "Oh shit!" Like it, I, I loved it, man. And I'd never really heard it much before. And I, I, after listening to it, I had heard like a few songs here and there, but I, I couldn't have told you, "Oh, it's off this album" or anything. I mean, yeah, it was sure. pop, but I, I, I couldn't have told you that. So it, it, dude, it really struck a chord in me. I would assume you heard something um, of "Search and Destroy." Uh, yeah, that's. I, 
Yeah, that's that's pretty popular. Yeah, Search and Destroy, and I want to say Gimme Danger was pretty pretty familiar as well. Almost like I'd oh, seen okay. it. it. It had been like in a show or it had been in a movie or something like that. But when I looked up, it was hard because I, I tried to look up is Gimme Danger <laughs> like in a movie and you Google that and you get the documentary about Iggy and the Stooges called Gimme Danger. I think Dude, that's a little. Did you watch I haven't that? seen it. I oh, haven't seen it. Have you seen it? Is that's it good? really. Yeah, I've watched it. It's, oh. it's quite good. Dude, I want to. Yeah, I do really, really want to see it. Really want to see it. Um, but so kind of going back to James, uh, James Williamson. So I, I kind of read when he was um, or I, I saw some little kind of documentary um, or maybe I read this. I don't remember. It was one or the other. Um, but a lot of these songs he would he when he was kind of writing them, he was just like writing them in his room at night. And he actually um, wrote a lot of the guitar parts and riffs. Just he'd just be sitting in his room on his acoustic guitar and I found that really interesting because, you know, most of the album is pretty raw, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also really liked how on a couple of the tracks, um, they incorporated the, the acoustic guitar. And for me, when listening to that kind of the first time on this album, I was really surprised because I had a a real, I had a preconceived notion about, you know, punk and Iggy and the Stooges and uh, just... I, it when I heard the acoustic guitar and, and and stuff on some of the songs, it it really it kind of caught me off guard, and I, I loved it because I love the contrast and the way the way they kind of play off each other and everything. Yeah, yeah, I um, I I don't know. I, I guess I don't have a personal shout out for this record. I think I kind of came into it more. Uh, I guess back in the days when I would listen to Pandora. Uh, there was probably a station or something that I had on, and uh, the the Stooges came on, um, and I, I liked them. So then you kind of dive into their catalog and check them out. And I mean, I like the 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 self titled first album and Funhouse, but this one always struck me a little more. And uh, I think it's important to note that I, I know that they say that this album's considered an influential forerunner to punk rock, but yeah, I, I guess I would argue that like it was probably the first record that had anything that introduced punk rock to anyone because I think Search and Destroy is like in my mind, it's like the first punk song, yeah, you know, I. I well, it, I, I, so I'll say for me, it was interesting because I have not listened to a lot of punk. And really, when I listened to this album, I felt it maybe it was kind of like the beginning in the ultimate punk. But I feel like at least what I've heard um, to me, this sounded more, I guess, more just like regular rock. Um, but I will say the way he sings it, um, though, again, I say the rawness, um, but uh, a lot of the distortion um and everything there was something about it though that um there's some songs where he does carry a little bit of melody or the in the guitar has sure kind of that feel and and i feel like when it kind of goes in that direction for me it drifts a little bit from punk but that's just kind of my my i would absolutely agree with you but i mean just like listening to search and destroy i mean just the way that the 
the chord structure of the song, the way it's presented, I, I just like the the way it just kind of attacks. I guess, dude, I, that's pretty. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into the that track, but that is I, to me that's like the way I could describe this whole album. It just like attacks you. It's, yeah, you know, almost almost very similar. How the, our previous, I think, episode or scratch we just did with Run the Jewels, how that album kind of attacks you in in its own way, in its own genre, in its own right? way. Yeah, absolutely. So so I, I yeah, that was very very uh, kind of prevalent to me. Um, but yeah, you know, we were kind of talking about how the uh you know the band was really in disarray when all this was happening and and um David Bowie was a very influential figure not only I think he did an intervention uh-huh. with Iggy in his heroin addiction um but then he also came in to 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 help mix the album because basically they had kind of recorded it and Iggy tried to mix it himself and the record company was not having it um and 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 I don't yeah. know if we want to get in. I don't know if we want to. Get, we can talk about this maybe a little bit. There are a variety. It seems like of of mixes of this album that have been done throughout the year. There's Iggy's initial mix, which I think came out as a bootleg, and they ended up calling it like Rough Power or something like that. Have you have you heard that? Like that has made it out as a bootleg. I think. I haven't listened to that, but I, I did read about it, and I, you know, I did read that other people uh, tried to do remixes of the album as well. Um, but one thing that I've wanted to talk about is there's okay, so a couple things. So first, this version of the vinyl right here, I believe, is the 2012 Record Store Day vinyl re-release. So this album has two vinyls in it, and the first one is the David Bowie mix, and then the oh, second really one okay. is the 97 Iggy Pop Iggy. remix. Okay. So it, it has both of them. And I read what, I guess, Bowie and I know one of the Ashton brothers said about the Iggy Pop remix, and there were not what I'd call overly positive reviews from both the band or necessarily Bowie about it, um, which I get, but I kind of like Iggy Pop's remix because I think it adds a little fuzz in certain areas. And I know they talk about like, Every little guitar riff, maybe some that were pulled out, and every grunt that he did, he put back in there, and they didn't like that. That didn't grab me as much as just the overall sound. I felt that um, maybe it wasn't as hollow, and no discredit to Bowie in the way he mixed that, uh, because who would I be to do that? But aside from that... Yeah, aside from that, it's just like, and we'll get into this when we get into the recording, but there wasn't a lot that he had to work with. But one thing that I've noticed is that his mix sounds a little hollow to me in the sense that I don't hear as as much of the drums as I'd like and as much of the bass. Now, not to say he didn't have a nearly insurmountable challenge uh, in doing so based on the way that Iggy Pop recorded recorded it in in the first attempt because that is um ouch yeah yeah i think they said that he ended up mixing it with the instruments 
in one stereo channel and then the vocals into in another, the other <laughs> and then a guitar with, with and then guitar yeah. solos on a third so it's like in this album he had the ability to go in and use I would say a, a minute, let's say a minimum of 16 tracks. I think when they said when Bowie did it, he brought it onto a 24 track system. Yep. That's what it was. Yeah. So let's say they had 24 tracks and they used three. three. Like it's amazing. Like they the, got out of it what they did. It's gotta be like the first band in the history of time. Cause I feel like every time we do an episode like this and we talk about bands uh who want more and more layers and everything they're always continuing to like mix down right and yeah and, you know mix down into separate tracks into separate tracks and everything and he kind of went the opposite direction here i i was i was shocked when i read that well yeah so i mean i guess this is as good a time as any to get into the recording bit of it but yeah i, I guess it was done primarily in london and there was a staff at the studio that they did it in and I don't know what engineer in their right mind would have allowed that. And another another thing that I think was interesting is in whatever studio they did, at least a handful of these, and I think they mentioned five songs. And as I listened to it, the ones that I think you can hear that on would be Search and Destroy, um, Raw Power, Shake Appeal, Death Trip, and probably Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Um, those are the ones to me that sound like they came out of those sessions where they okay. didn't, where they just used those three tracks because there's there's some similarity or congruence to the sound of those that uh, you can you can just hear. And it's in a way, it's cool because it comes out more sounding like real DIY punk. Like, yeah. I got nothing to work with. We just made an awesome live recording. It seems like right. that a lot. Um, but um, yeah. So, I mean, do you think, do you think when they were recording it though? Cause like they had, like, do you think that, do you think they maybe, um, kind of recorded you know he put all those parts like on single tracks and they were just gonna like mix it together and put it as put it out as like a mono because because if you were gonna do it that way then i, I mean that kind of it makes sense you, you could put all those instruments on one track and then the next one and the next one if you're not worried about stereo and kind of painting well, or anything like yeah that. It's sure like, boom, here it goes but i mean even even forget stereo i mean if you had a four track recorder I think at at least you would have done like the drums on one, maybe if you had to guitar and bass on another, vocals and then like the solos. But they didn't do that. It was like all yeah. the instrumentation was on that one. And I I don't know if they mixed anything down. And if they did, uh, you could argue that a little more care could have been taken for like the drums because that's one right. thing that I notice is. I'd, I'd like the drums to really crush more. The guitars are pretty loud, but I, I don't feel like I hear enough bass. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in, um, you're talking about in the original mix or cause like in Iggy's mix, I've, he, well, even he in bumps, Iggy's uh, mix, he, I mean, there's, okay. he, he does some things in his remix to kind of 
uh, account for that a little bit. And I don't know if that was layering that one track several times. And then in each one of those instances, you kind of EQ it and compress it in a way that would be favorable to whatever the given instrument you want to bring out is. So at least you can kind of get more of the full spectrum of EQ um, out of what you have. Sure. To say if that makes sense. Well, Um, it, yeah, no, it, it it does. I just, it's, it's so funny that I don't know if, if we've done or talked about an album that has almost gone through almost so many iterations yeah uh, yeah sure you know and and for being like that you know this kind of i don't know if i say prestigious but well-known highly you know rated considered album like historical i guess yeah um, i i think that's a good caveat there is historically speaking because i don't know that a lot of attention got paid to this when it came out it seems more of like a in retrospect type of albums i mean when i when yeah. i yeah, when I when I look at the people who have who've talked about this, I mean, Kurt Cobain said it was one of his favorite albums right. of all time. Dude, yeah. CeeLo Green was cited as saying that. I know, was, right? Yeah. And, and, but he did say one thing. He's like it seems like it was all done in one take, which I you can see why he can, would have made that comment. Absolutely. No, you definitely can. Well, so so obviously his initial mix um record company didn't dig it. And then so they had Bowie come in and work with him to remix the album. Basically, they did. They just remixed it like seven songs, I think, in in one day. And um, the way Iggy described it was it was basically like him and um, Bowie in this kind of old crappy studio with old like an old school console and everything like an and, elvis era console yeah where it's that's like, what they said yeah it's not even i don't know if you can see this but it you know you can't see my my mixing board but it's not even with like modern day faders it's like these knobs like you know yeah. like well, real and he said yeah and he said they each they would just to mix it they each had their just hands on the knobs and they were just like adjusting it kind of like along the on the way and stuff like on the fly and I, I, when I listen to the to the Bowie mix, I I feel like there's certain parts of it where you can really hear them, like, yes, turning up and turning down certain parts and everything. Like it's it's uh it's like it's a performance like in itself, well, <laughs> pretty much. And a lot of people would have said that about uh, especially like analog mixing sessions because today it's all done digitally and you can you know you can save it's your progress. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. But back then it was it was a performance, and I think uh, one of the one one of the things that tuned me into that was watching the uh, Dark Side, right? Yes, the Dark Side yeah. documentary where Alan Parsons was talking about how how mixing this was a performance in itself because it was, it was very complicated for analog equipment. Now this is a different, a different animal, so to speak, but I do feel that in that mix, uh, there's times where the vocal stands out to me, maybe a little more than I would want or, or, you know, seems natural. Yeah. I feel like sort of, there is, you know, some some of the balance is is maybe off. Um, oh yeah, where there's where there are like I think you said hollow. Like there's kind of some thin spots where it yep. just kind of 
um, you know, the song's going and then something comes up a little, maybe, I don't know if it's a higher than it should, but at least when I'm listening to it, you know, compared to the Iggy version of, of the nineties, um, that's what really stands out to me. Whereas his version seems, it's just more full. I feel like it's more there. Yes, um, it is. And, and it's definitely his version is definitely crunchier. Uh, there's, yeah. there's a lot more grit and I think they even said like he purposely did it. So it's, you know, many parts would actually peak and crunch and everything. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, when they remastered it, uh, any clipping was gotten rid of. And that's, right. that's another thing. I, I know I kind of touched on the whole bit about the loudness wars, but, um, there's, and I've probably talked about this in other episodes, but there's this idea or this thing that's happening in music where uh, some producers and mastering engineers feel that the idea is they want to put out the loudest album possible. Like it's just like it's it's just it's pushing all the way all the time, but it doesn't going to eleven, baby. Going, but it doesn't peak. And when I was reading an article about this, they actually cited the remix remastered version of Search and Destroy as like the loudest song that had been mixed. And they show the waveforms. And if you look at waveforms of songs, they kind of go up and down and there's quieter parts and louder parts. Peaks and valleys, right? Yeah. Yes. But when they showed the waveform for the remastered <laughs> version, I dude, it was like a solid bar all the way through the song, like just all the way up all the time, you know, no middle ground. And the song, the song is like that. I mean, it's not as if, you know, there's the quiet part of search and destroy, but it just, it struck me reading that article and actually seeing the waveform for comparison. Cause it's just all the way up all the time. Yeah, that is pretty cool. But they, they did say that when they, when they remixed it, uh, and remastered it that it was arguably the loudest album ever coming in at an RMS of negative four dB, which is rare even by today's standards. Yeah, right. And I saw that. There's different ways to kind of measure overall volume, and I am not an expert on peak leveling versus RMS, but all I know is that from the limited knowledge I do have is that if you set something to like a negative 2 dB peak, that's the loudest anything will reach. But if you set uh, something to 2 dB RMS, it's basically like the standard throughout the song. And so this thing is just like, it just is like screaming at you the whole time. So it basically moves everything to that level? Is that kind of, or? That kind of, I guess the way to think of it is that becomes the average level for everything but okay. they'll still set a peak limit to which things can't go over so that it won't clip in your stereo right. and you won't get that noticeable like, you know. Yeah, yeah. We all love that. But that's um, that's nerd talk, but yeah. And I yeah, don't I don't claim to be an expert, so don't, you know, don't chastise me over that one. No. Or do it, whatever. Rip them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Rip. Um so yeah, so this album came out and actually critics seemed to to like it, but it just didn't do well. Like the the it, I don't know, just listeners just weren't about it really. And um so C- Columbia ended up dropping them from their contract and so did Main Man uh because apparently a lot of their uh a lot of the money that they were advanced they just spent on drugs. Yeah. So, yeah, 
but not the first store last band to do that. No, but I can no. see. I mean, you got to admit. I think if this album had come out in even '75, when you had like the beginnings of what would become punk, it would have been like more accepted. But I mean, think about what else was coming out in '72 oh, or dude, well '73, '74. Well, this is what was coming out: um, uh, Led Zeppelin's "House of the Holy," The Who's "Quadrophenia," and the Rolling Stones' "Goat's Head Soup." You know, probably the three biggest bands at that time. In this, I guess, in sort of a rock kind of genre, you would want to say, yeah, and sure. Those are the those are the albums that that came out. This was just so much grittier than any of those. Oh you know? man, yeah. I I mean that that's why I just I don't think it's fair to to call it like this this uh, predecessor to punk. I mean, I feel like it was not only in the sound of not all the songs, but a lot of the songs, but in the spirit too. Like just in the spirit of it, like how it felt, how it was recorded, like everything about it. Yeah. I mean, it's maybe that's something that now that I think about is actually kind of cool that it was just it was completely mixed wrong. It was just kind of a mess. Like it was mixed weird. Yeah, it was mixed wrong. (laughs) It's in Dubly. Yeah. So um, (laughs) Dolby. Dolby. Anyways. So, yeah, many of the uh, well. Like I said, critics actually did like it um, for the most part, but it just didn't do well commercially. They got drops, but it is one of those albums, you know, kind of like Marvin Gaye's like what's going on that people have looked back at and really, really praised it. So Pitchfork named it the 83rd best album of the 70s. Rolling Stone has it ranked on at 125 of their greatest 500 albums. So, yeah, um, you know, those are those are those are pretty good lists to be on. I, yeah, I just don't think, especially given the time, there was anything like it at all. It was it was its own animal. Yes. I, I mean, it really was. Um, so I think we should maybe get into the album a little bit here now. I think we should definitely say, though, that I think the mix that we've agreed that we are going to talk about um, is the... Um, Iggy Pop remix from the nineties, right? That's yeah. I, um, I mean, I dude, I've listened to both a number of times. I mean, I, the vinyl that I have has both of them, and I've listened to both. And I've I've also read the statements that I think uh, the Ashtons and David Bowie have have put out, and I know that the Ashtons were basically like. Boy, this this is really kind of like no good. I think people are going to listen to this and say, "Man, I really like the original mix better." I I guess to me, I don't hear the hugest difference in like, "Oh man, that shouldn't be there or that shouldn't be there." I know that there are things, there are little guitar artifacts, there are vocal artifacts, but I just I felt like the Iggy one captured more of what the title says which was raw power i mean he added a little grit he added a little thickness and i guess if it's up to me that's the one i would choose to listen to but uh not in any way to discredit the Mm -hmm. bowie mix that was the original release sure well and i think the tough thing that comes along with that is you know, this album came out in 74. So then like the new, like 20 plus years later, the new no, remix no, 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 version. No. Sorry. What? February 7th to 73. Oh, well, 73. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyways. Sorry. 
Trivial, okay. trivial. Fuck me, one year. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Only twelve months, dude. Come on, dude. And I mean, in, in in history, that's not even the blink of an eye. It's not even. So, anyways, like I was saying, it's when people have had an album and they, that's the version they've been listening to for years and years and years, and then you hear the new one. Um, I, I find myself like with movies, like when sometimes director's cuts or extended versions come out and you're Makes like, sense. uh, Hey, I will say, Hey, it's, it's kind of cool to see those extra scenes. But yeah. a lot of times, a lot of times I'm like, well, I'm kind of glad they cut it out or they cut off for a reason. And like, Hey, I appreciate apocalypse. Now the redux. I do. I I'm appreciate, glad you brought that up. Cause yeah, go on. like the, the now there's another one the final cut it's like coppola's real version that he would want oh. which it has some of the scenes from the redux and some and i watched them i've seen them both a few times and i'm just like i always go back to, to the like original. the original version that i grew up with and that's that so dude the we're french not doing plantation here, scene just takes too just, long just drags it out. It just. I do like this. the scene where they go back to the USO and it's just all in disarray and everything because you kind of feel like that. Was that during like the hurricane or the monsoon? Yeah, the helicopters yeah, tipped over. Yeah. yeah, but that scene isn't like that long. Like the French plantation. True, scene, they're there for like, dude. That adds like another twenty five minutes, I think, to the movie. It's and it's, you can only long. imagine how much it affected the cost of production for that scene. Oh. Uh, yeah exactly yeah. well it's funny because in hearts of darkness he's like i cut the scene because he's like i didn't like the lighting i didn't like the acting i didn't like anything about it so it's like well i'm gonna put it back in during the new versions i don't, I don't yeah know. i don't know so I don't know. anyways so you know we'll move now, on from apocalypse now <laughs> yeah but i i do think that um i see the comparison between that and like a uh director's cut or something but i i guess i felt like with the two mixes they didn't add that much more it's not like they added songs in that weren't no. there before they just you know little no. tweaks here and there and another thing i i did it's like adjusting I, the color it's like yeah. remat, you know yeah taking out the specs and yeah another thing i do want to say before um we get too into it is so the band was still playing uh like during i guess and after this and you'll see, if you look at the Iggy and the Stooges chronology, there is uh, something that came out after this called Metallic KO, mm, okay. which you can also find is like a remastered version called More Power. And there's a group of songs on there that I think are really good. And if you like the Stooges, I would really recommend listening to it. And I feel like those songs are what was next but they just never happened but they have some cool versions of them and it's it's worth a listen and they do do some in that series of songs which i think were primarily taken from like uh maybe live in studio or live outside of the studio recordings they do do some cuts from raw power too sweet so that's anyways. cool that's cool yeah you want to get your Iggy and the Stooges on? Sorry. And and by um, the way, Iggy was born in our hometown, just Muskegon, like Michigan. Michigan. No yeah. way. Yeah, he was born in Muskegon, Michigan, and then his family moved to Ann Arbor after that, and he kind of grew up in Ann Arbor, and then the Stooges formed out of Detroit. But Iggy was wow. born in Muskegon, just like you and I. Cole's garlic bread and Ooh, so all good. the Larry's, wonderful Larry's mashed potatoes. I don't think those are from the scheme. <laughs> Probably not. 
but, they uh, should. but anyway, but, but we did like those a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, Iggy's going to have some competition because once we get famous, we're going to be the most famous people from Muskegon. So yeah, watch out, uh-huh. watch out Iggy. We're coming for you <laughs> in a good um, way. In a good way. Yeah. All right, bro. Do you want to get into the album here? I think we're about ready. Yeah, I would say so. All right, cool, man. Well, let's get into the first track, which we have discussed a little bit already, and that is Search and Destroy, which is the uh, first single off the album. Oh, it's, uh, I think, like we said, it hits, man. Like, this is, this. you know what you're going to get into. Like, once you put this on, you're like, wow. First punk song ever, in my opinion. Awesome. It it does not get old to me. It really doesn't. So I was watching a, um, there's little snippets of a documentary. So if you get the, if you get this, the, I think it's the legacy version of the CD. And I think it's like a double disc, but you have to get the actual CD. I think there is included a documentary on this album or, and in, and I think parts of it were ripped and made its way up to YouTube, although you can't watch all of them. And I believe it's during this song, Iggy talks about writing the lyrics for it. And he says, he was in the middle of writing the lyrics when he OD'd. He woke up 14 hours later and then he finished writing the song. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. even better than like Keith Richards' account of the uh, guitar riff from Satisfaction where he just passed out. <laughs> yeah, this is next level shit. So. Wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, this song from a musical perspective, dude, the guitars just scream like mm-hmm. it is. And I feel like this is actually one of the tracks where um, maybe it's just a guitar where I felt like I could actually hear the bass a lot because I know we've said that maybe the bass is um, a little lower. Uh, There's something there that just has a shit ton of fuzz on it. And maybe that's the bass or not, but it sounded like it was to me. Well, yeah. And I think even more so in the the Iggy remix of it, you can can hear that more. Um, But yeah. And I've I actually downloaded years ago. There's there's a cool compilation called No Thanks, and it's basically like uh, an introduction to punk music and kind of a retrospective of punk. And and this this track is on there is like like the yeah. one of those initial punk songs, you know. Well, you can understand why for sure. Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I think one. I think this is just like the perfect way to start the album, but then. Going into the second song, Gimme Danger, dude, it just such a great contrast because it starts with the acoustic guitar and like tambourine. And that is about as far away. Piano hits. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like the little piano is right. And I was just like, when I heard Mm -hmm. that, like I was like, okay, search and destroy is badass. But then when I heard it transition into Gimme Danger, I, my respect just went up like 10. Um, oh yeah, because because it's like wow, dude. Okay, we're we're doing something different here, and 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 as as consistent as I would say this album is, there are like these little nuggets here and there um, that really stand out and make it stand out um, from other kind of albums and, and even yep. itself of the other songs on the album. Well, and one thing I'll say about "Gimme Danger" um, that I I noticed, but I didn't really know how, and it kind of goes back to the recording part is that. Um, is how they they have that nice echo. It's like a, a stereo echo on the acoustic guitar. Okay. And so um, one of the one of the things is I guess there was this thing called a time cube, 
And, oh, it, yeah. and Iggy, the, the bong. I think it was Iggy <laughs> Pop, yeah, described it as basically looking like a bong with a couple of twists and turns. And you would actually feed the sound through it, and it would come out the other side with this really nice echo. And that's what they used. And I, I just, I thought that was interesting, because even if that was high tech at the time, I mean, by today's standards, that is like incredibly primitive. But the result is is amazing. All right. No, and, that, yeah. and I, I do. I, I've always loved the song. I mean, some of the dude, um, nothing in my dreams, just some ugly memories and nothing left alive, just a pair of glassy eyes. Like just the, the lyrics are re- they really cut in this one. I, I feel like. Right. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, uh, this is definitely one of my favorite songs. It, m- it might be my favorite song in the album, to be honest with you. I there's, uh, It's hard because there's a couple. But yeah, I I, I to- totally dig this one a lot. Um, and, and just just the riff, just the riff itself is a dude, great riff. It, it really is. It really really is. Um, Want to move on to track three here? Ren, yeah, Tim. Tim? Yep. Your okay. pretty face is going. Your face to hell. is going to hell. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> I mean, it's pretty rough, and it comes in rough too. I mean, it, it, that's oh. one of the ones that I think was recorded probably in that session where they ended up with three tracks. Because it's really abrupt in in its you know in its entry and the way it comes in. Yeah, everything about this song is like the guitar. It screeches. It's just driving like crazy. It, and when he comes in and just starts singing, he sings it like yeah. real aggra- aggressively. Distortion on his voice, man. Like it's to me, it's just like again, it just just kicks you in the balls pretty much. And yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 pretty great, man. Um, you know, and and, and to me. I, again, this is where I kind of, I don't know, maybe I go back and forth and I, I i fully probably need to listen to more punk. But when I hear this, I'm like, oh, my God, this is just like hardcore rock. I mean, I wouldn't say it's thrash metal, but yeah, it's just this yeah. like it's this hardcore, hardcore oh, rock, yeah. man. It, it's, like and, harder than anything out at the time, because even if you consider like Black Sabbath's first album, which would have been out around the same time, that was like the the first metal album, if you will. I mean, this was just different. It just, it may not have had the thickness, but it wasn't slow. It was really fast and it just, you know, it's punches, man. Punches. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yep. It does. Um, all right. Track number four, dude. Penetration. Yeah. Um, okay. So dude, is that a Hammond organ? No. Um, what is I, it? I don't believe it is. Because it you sounds know, like Riders on the Storm to me. Like, well, but that's, that's a Rhodes. The Riders on Rhodes, the Storm sorry, is a Rhodes, Rhodes electric piano. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a Rhodes. I've kind of been torn between thinking it's one of the early iterations of the Wurlitzer piano, like either a 122 or a 140, or um, something called a Horner pianet, um, which kind of has an electric piano sound, but just a little different because. The, the only reason I would say probably not a Rhodes, which it could be, and I'd feel like an idiot, but I just don't think it has the thickness of the Rhodes, okay. but that also okay. could have been the way it was recorded. So I <laughs> honestly, I don't know, but some sort of an electric piano instrument for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and again, that what I just love about it is I, when I was listening to this, I was not expecting to hear that sound. Yeah. It just was. Yeah, for sure. And and it's so 
they, they don't get I don't think overly complex on it. It, it kind of stays very consistent throughout throughout the song. But man, I just I, I love that sound and it just it's such a good contrast, man. Uh, I agree. It's, it's really great. And if you do um, like that sound, I would advise you to listen to that disc that I talked about because whoever okay. was playing that, they do more of that in what would have or what was to come in those recordings. Uh, there's either acoustic piano or there's that instrument. And then the reason I thought it was a Wurlitzer was because in those recordings that I listened to, the live ones, it sounded more like a Wurlitzer to me. But Okay, cool. That's well, the I, dork I, talking. Yeah, right. Well, I, I also really like the way he kind of sings this song. It's kind of it has this creepy kind of dirty feel to it. Like, yeah, I kind of like it's it's kind of seductive, but it's almost like Jack the Ripper seducing you a little bit. Like, it's got that weird kind of like, I don't know if I should like this guy or not. Yeah. Like, you know, but different. I mean, nonetheless, it's yeah. different. You know, and then he just makes like kind of weird cat <laughs> noises too. I don't know what that's about, but hey, man, it works, dude. It works, Ziggy. Keep it up. I imagine um, those live shows must have been amazing because there's some of them where, like, <laughs> if you listen to some of their live stuff, you can hear him like starting shit with the audience, <laughs> and like, <laughs> you know, he'd cut himself and rub peanut butter on himself, like, <laughs> like crazy shit. Awesome. It's hard to believe he was addicted to heroin. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So let's flip the record and let's um, talk about the self-titled track, Raw Power. Raw Power. Um, yeah, I mean, again, to me, this is just, uh, it's like a great, just kind of straightforward rock punk song. Um, and and I think it was the, uh, uh, one of the, what, what would you say? Um, somebody at the record company um, wanted them to have like two ballads on each side and kind of like start off each side like that did you read that at all i did read something about that i don't know that i would put this one as the ballad maybe the next track i need somebody but yeah yeah but um i think they wanted kind of the i don't know if you'd say this is radio radio friendly more like the the singles or what would be kind of like a the the hit and they were just like well we're gonna you know each each side should start with like that type of track and this one did come out as I believe the third single. I'm, I I I think it's the actual main single that was released in Japan, but oh. um, but I think it might be. It the was the third single, third, yeah. Third single that that was released. Um, yeah, but I mean, this song, dude, itself, dude, it's just it's raw, it's grungy, just as you would expect, and it's a it's a great way to you know kind of start the the second side of the album, and yeah, it, it's, and it's know, great me, word painting. Because the sure. the being what the title is, it sounds like raw power, you know. Yeah. Well, one thing that's kind of cool with this with this album, I would say, is that you know we talk a lot about albums and listening to songs in order, and we like all that kind of shit. I feel like, dude, like with this album, you it, it didn't really matter what side you start with; you could just kind of put it on, and it's like, okay, cool. I mean, that's just how the how I feel about it. No, I, I don't think that's uh, unfounded because then go to the next track, I Need Somebody, and it it's kind of more, it's at least more like the second song on the first side. Um, it is. Give Me Danger. I mean, it, like you can hear acoustic in it and, you know, it, it's just got a slower tempo and he kind of... He sings it a little different where he does it like you. Yeah. 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 He kinda, it's almost like a crooner sometimes. It is. Yeah. The song just kind of, it, it kind of chugs along. And again, he kind of, you know, sings it. I would, 
I would say more in a, a little bit of a creepier manner. But yeah, but I think there, chugs there, along is a good. It it does chug. It, it, it yeah, does. Yeah, yeah. When um and during the documentary, uh, the little snippets that I watched, they were playing an acoustic version of it. And oh, Iggy's wow. at the mix. Iggy, Iggy's at the mixing board, and he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, this right now, he's like, it really sounds like a whorehouse, like a bordello from New Orleans. Like that's he's like he's like he's like it sounds like he sounds like that's uh, that's what would be playing on the inside of it. I mean, dude, that's pretty yeah. badass. If that's how you're describing your own song, like, I mean, have you ever written a song like that? Because if you haven't, I think no. you need to try. <laughs> no, I haven't. Um, I know it's so, not really your style, but. You no, know. but, you know. You are going glacial. Well, I will say in the music bed that we're using for this is a, so- a song that I wrote <laughs> called I Want It All. And it is absolutely influenced by Iggy and the Stooges in this album specifically. So cool. if the episode isn't too long, I'll play the whole thing at the end because I feel like it's somewhere between this and like 90s rock if they met. Sweet. And it's it's heavy and I made everything real nasty and, you know, gritty. And, oh. oh, I know. I know. Yeah. I like it. I like it dirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So moving on. My number shake seven. Appeal. Shake appeal. All right. So, uh, I mean, oh, the dude. This I'm excited to talk about. Okay. All right. So I was listening to this. Song. I mean, I had heard it, you know, a bunch and everything. And and it really, re- there's a song. I'm like, gosh, this really reminds me of something. Like, and which is weird because I don't listen to a lot of music like this. And I'm like, what is it? And not only the, the beat in the riff, but also his, um, I guess, the, 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 the pattern in which he sings it. And this last time I listened to it before we did this episode... It clicked and it really reminds me you, you just need to do this i don't think you can do it right now and maybe the listeners do it and tell me just tell me i'm wrong the beatles rock and roll music like put that song on listen to it the first 30 seconds and then play the first 30 seconds of this and just the kind of the beat and the way it bounces and then the, the way feeling. he sings it the the vocal pattern like Obviously, the Beatles doesn't have the distortion. Yeah, and it's not yeah, as, yeah. But man, if you listen to the first little bit of each song, I was like, holy shit. Like, Dude, it's, it's I, the weirdest thing, man. It's the weirdest thing. I, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to discredit that. I, I want to because in my head, I can kind of hear it. You know what I thought you were going to say? No. It was fucking rocks off by the Rolling Stones. Ooh, that's what okay. I thought you were gonna say. Oh, okay. I really okay. thought that's, but but dude, rock, yeah, that rock and roll music makes sense. Like, I, I get dun, dun, that. Dun, 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 yeah. yeah, man, I hear that too, though. I agree. Wow. Wow. Interesting, dude. Now, one thing, if you like shake appeal, to go okay. back, and you're gonna love this, but to go back to those, the dots. those recordings um, that. That would have been the next album. Yes. Right. There is a song on there called Cock in My Pocket. And Ooh. it is it is very much in the same kind of feeling and way as Shake Appeal. Ah, you know, Cock so in I My Pocket. So I think you'd like it. If you like a Shake Appeal, dude, Cock in My Pocket is for you. Dude, there's got to <laughs> be like you. a... Please tell me there's a sex toy called like Cock in My Pocket. There's got to be. There should Here. be. Here, go to extreme restraints. Let's find it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> all right, moving on. Track number eight. 
dude death trip longest song on the album over six yeah. minutes um i, I find that th- i think this song really wraps up the album well um it, you know it has a lot of rock distortion to me this uh, okay i know you know you said um uh you know search and destroy and how punky that is to me i find that this is the punkiest song in the album at least the way he sings it because i find it's a little lazy it's more freeform and he doesn't try to make any melody and at least the punk that i've heard it, it kind of has that that feel to it so that's why I, for me i almost say depends this depends on punkiest. what punk you're listening to but it yes, depends on I, what punk you're listening to i, I understand I just, what you know. you're saying and i certainly don't disagree with that 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 makes a lot of sense um yeah. Yeah, and I, I I like what you said about like the delivery as being a little more lackadaisical because I think that's that's very true. I mean, Search and Destroy is incredibly deliberate, and this one he has room to kind of mess loose. with it. You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's just kind of what I know. Let it loose. Let it loose. Oh, that's a that's a fucking good song. Dude. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, get to that album. Please, like tomorrow. Like I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Actually, I'm not because I need to make my notes. But (laughs) all right, Grim. Uh, Is it my turn? Your turn? Whose turn? Who did run the jewels first? I feel like you did. Okay. No, I think I did because I thought we were going to scratch the same one, and you surprised me with something different. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Two chains. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, all right, dude. So it's my turn. Or my turn? Yeah. My turn. Okay. So I am just going to go ahead. I'm not going to waste anybody's time here, but I'm going to go ahead and I am going to scratch uh, Death Trip um, because I the first six songs in this album, I love. I mean, I love. I like all these those songs. I dig them. Shake Appeal, I was a little bit on the fence, um, but once I made the connection kind of for myself with rock and roll music, that is a reason for me to keep it. Um, but with Death Trip, you know, it's over six minutes and I, I, I do like it. I think it is, like I said earlier, the punkiest song in the album. Um, but personally, I I don't know if it needs to be kind of that that long. So that's where that's where I'm cutting it. Just, you know, you know, honestly, back. dude, I really thought there was a chance to go to overtime on this one. But. Okay. Uh, that's that wasn't my cut, and I think you said it perfectly when you were talking about it. That Death Trip rounds out the album really well, and although it was a possibility for me, I really have to go with your pretty faces going to hell. Oh, okay. Not that I don't like the song, but it's like it, it's hard for me because after Gimme Danger, it it, it is very abrupt, and yeah. if it did go right into penetration, like. Which would make sense. I would accept that <laughs> penetration. Yeah. 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 Now, so, yes, you know. absolutely. If we did, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I can definitely see that. Um, I do kind of like the, how it goes, you know, search and destroy is, you know, much harder. Give me danger, chills a bit, you know. Yeah. No, no. The hell, up and down. Hard, you know, yeah. yeah like any good um, album. Yeah. 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 Well, this is. It. I'm surprised we actually uh, didn't didn't go to overtime on this one. It's tough with a you know a 40 minute. Not sorry, not a 40 minute. Eight song. 33 album minute. That's 33 <laughs> yeah. minutes. Like I mean, this is EP territory. You take one song off, which is a scratch, and that's your EP, man. Dude, so. yeah, I know because I would listen to this when I would go for my run, and I like 
the album would be done and it would start on like the legacy, you know, because you download a few different iterations and it would start over again. And I was like, man, I, yeah. I don't know. Am I going that fast or is it just, <laughs> and I'm not going that fast. So, yeah. Right. 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 Totally. Yeah. No, it's, it's uh it's a quick album. It's a quick listen. It's a quick listen. Yeah, so, but a good yeah, one. I would, yeah, I'd highly recommend that if people, if you're not familiar with it or haven't listened to it, like give it a shot and, you know, do all your exercising or something, just just anything because it's uh it's really upbeat and it's a it's a quick listen. So it's not and like honestly, hey, I'm waste an hour of my time or something. Yeah, like and that. if you if you like it, don't stop there. Check out Metallic KO or there's another version called Metallic 2KO, but all those tracks that are the best ones from that era are also on something I believe called more power. So check those out because where they were going to go was, was awesome too. But unfortunately it didn't happen that way. It didn't happen. So, and watch the gimme danger documentary. There's a lot of excellent information in that. And it's, it is, it's entertaining. And one thing I, I, I really like one of many things that I really like about it is you see after so many years like Iggy reignite um with the the Ashton brothers before unfortunately I believe the drummer uh passed away. Oh did he? Oh okay. Yeah. I did not know that. I did not yeah. know that. But it's it's cool. <laughs> I mean it's it's interesting to see their kind of their journey because it's it's a weird one. It's like a band that made it, but kind of didn't didn't you know they made it enough to record albums but they never like broke through to superstardom or anything i mean they just kind of yeah but then ended up you know consequently being one of the most influential bands in music so it's interesting because they they are one of those bands that yeah maybe they didn't have that breakthrough like we talk about with some of the you know the big iconic bands but they have their their niche man oh they they do their their fans their followers and they are loyal and they're 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 good you know good solid fans who who really are into this band they are for sure oh and the previous two albums are awesome too in their own right and very different i mean the self-titled stooges album is has elements of this but it's more what you would have would have expected because i think it came out in 1969 there's a song on there called 1969 and then Funhouse is kind of Funhouse is like different because it it's almost like there's elements of like free jazz and there's like horns and stuff in there. Freeform jazz odyssey. <laughs> Mixed with like punk predecessor. Punk. Yeah, it's yeah, okay. it's it's interesting. But I, I'd recommend <laughs> all of them. I mean, uh, a cool band to listen to. Cool. Great band, great band. Underrated great. band. All right. Well, Graham, I think we can mark um, Iggy and the Stooges' raw power officially scratched. Scratched. Cool. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you're still uh, with us, and uh, we got many more to come. Hope you have a great weekend. we we'll be Yes. We'll be back on Monday with probably another covers face-off. So get ready for that. Until next time, please like, please subscribe, please comment. Let us know what you think. What would you scratch? Scratch a track is produced by the Dude and Grim. Additional music provided by Moore, that's dot 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 M O R E, and the Tins, T I M N Z. Copyright 2020, 
The Doom Show. I won't discriminate how great or how small. I want it all. Don't bother asking how much is enough. I'll show you where to stick it when the going gets rough. My face hurts from laughter. I'm having a ball. I want it all.